And my whole thing was rather than just putting art that we generate offline onto the chain, how would we actually kind of uh, pay respect to the format and think of it? What is what is intrinsic to the chain itself? How how can you kind of leverage it natively rather than just using it to kind of host some other kind of art, right? So that's the basic idea. And and my my initial answer to that is well, it probably has something to do with programming because you know code and data are kind of the 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 language of blockchains. Welcome to the Cardano Source Podcast. I'm your host Blaine Edwards, and on this weekly podcast, I catch up with a range of Cardano innovators thought leaders and changemakers who are using Cardano to make an impact within the world of cryptocurrency and beyond. As Charles Hoskinson puts it, we are Cardano. And if you permit us, we'd like to change the world. If that sounds like you, then make sure to subscribe and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Before we dive into the episode, I just want to quickly mention that at the beginning of this podcast, Alexander from Unsigs will be discussing and referencing a visual slideshow presentation. So in this purely audio version of the podcast, there may be some sections where you'll have to exercise a bit of your imagination to connect some of the dots. So if you want to listen and also watch this podcast, then feel free to hop on over to YouTube. You can see all of that there. But to be honest, you should be able to make sense of all the concepts just from uh, listening. So feel free to stick around. And without further ado, let's dive into it. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Dane Edwards. And today we are joined by Alexander, artist and founder of Unsigned Algorithms, or Unsigs for short, the first algorithmically generated art living on Cardano. So Alexander, brother, cheers for coming on the show. Thank you, Blaine. Uh, w- wonderful to be here. I'm really excited for this conversation. Alrighty, so the format of this podcast is going to be a little bit different to the norm. So uh, what I'm going to do is hand the mic over to you in a second, and maybe you can do a quick introduction on who you are. And then I believe you've got a cool little slideshow presentation for us, uh, which will Mm -hmm. break down the kind of the inspiration, uh, philosophy and methodology around UNSIGS. And then okay. I thought we could flow into a more general conversation around NFTs, uh, generative art, and also maybe the intersection of uh, design and blockchain, because you're, you've got mm, an architecture perfect. background and so do I. So that's kind of like a, awesome. an interest that we share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're interested in that and the listeners out there, then feel free to stick around. But if you're all good to go, Alexander, I'll, I'll, the floor is all yours for the, the intro and the presentation. Perfect. Uh Thank you for that introduction, Blaine. Like, uh, like you said, my name is Alexander. Um, I, how, how, what's the best way of talking about myself? I guess I would say <laughs> I'm an architect by training, even though I've never practiced. It, it has really shaped the way that I think and, and view the world. And so, uh, you know, I did two graduate degrees in architecture where I was kind of exposed to programming first, mostly through the lens of uh, CNC manufacturing and like robotic uh fabrication where in the, in the school that I went to, they had like all these five axis CNC machines and six axis robots. So they were really big into these like futuristic, you know, like how do you like reimagine how you build things? And so that was really lucky for me. After I graduated, I went into working for uh, one of these large float glass manufacturers um, where they, I was working in their R and D group, trying to figure out how to like laminate and embed sensors into uh, glass assemblies. So that you could basically um, get more data about what was happening on the facade of a building. 
right? So if you have a skyscraper that has all these glass panels on it, we were embedding these little, little, little teeny sensors um, that would like pick up ambient energy flows and then like uh, send out a little beep or something to some other monitoring station. And the point of that was that like, you don't really want to run like a 24 volt DC power to your entire facade to, to get sensors. So there was this kind of a problem where, you know, we had to use the energy that was there and then get that information someplace else without having to, you know, like have a battery there. So it was, it was a very low power kind of IOT type stuff that I was doing. And, and after, while I was there, I got sent over to India and then I, I transferred company to this Indian company called Gudrej, which is a Parsi company working in their R and D kind of new product development place. I slowly got more and more into to, to programming. I was working for uh, some subcontract projects by them. They made like half of the Mars mission to Mars that wow. India sent the Mongolian uh, thing. And so I was working a little bit on these like uh, aerospace systems and how to, how to better fabricate these things. Um, originally it was for IOT smart home stuff, like India's version of Google nest and, and like smart AC systems. Cause they were in, had their fingers in all these different pies. And then uh, because of air quality issues, I decided I had to get out of India. Unfortunately, I really loved it. But uh, PM 2.5 levels were like 300 in my house. And so two years ago, I moved back to Japan. Um, and that's when I really started working, uh, I'd say professionally as a programmer, where I was doing like AI, ML, um, kind of forecasting model, picking what model to use, training a model, and then deploying it to AWS so that other people could um, basically use these kind of predictions that were being made. But that's kind of my whole kind of trajectory. I'm half Japanese, half American. My father's Japanese, mother's American. I grew up in the States, went to undergrad in Tokyo and went back to, to America for grad school, but been all around, um, studied a bunch of stuff. And, and hopefully some of that experience and knowledge comes through in the presentation I'm about to walk you through. Is, is that good? Can I, can I, should I switch to that? Yeah, yeah that's a good, that's a really good summary. So yeah, the, the presentation. Okay. Yeah. Great. Looking so forward to it. Share my Getting screen. the popcorn, the virtual popcorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm jealous now. I haven't had popcorn in a bit. So can you see my screen all right? Yeah. So right, uh, Unsigned Algorithms is the name of the project. Um, we can get into that. We'll actually cover why that is the name in a little bit. But this is basically what I'm calling a programmatic NFT. And the, the kind of subtext or the point of the project is to explore the medium of blockchain-based art, its potential, and impact on art. So I think in, on my Twitter profile, I have a little blurb that says, um, from container to medium. So anyone who has an art background understands like what a medium is, right? Like painting or photography or, or music, right? Uh, all these things are mediums and, and they kind of have their own ticks and uh, quirks and, and like things that you can take advantage of, right? And my whole thing was rather than just putting art that we generate offline onto the chain, how would we actually kind of uh, pay respect to the format and think of it, what is, what is intrinsic to the chain itself? How, how can you kind of leverage it natively rather than just using it to kind of host some other kind of art, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the basic idea. And, and my, my initial answer to that is, well, it probably has something to do with programming because, you know, code and data are kind of the, 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 language, the language of, of the blockchain, of blockchains, yeah. right? Yeah. So the context for this is actually, you know, it's great that you have an architecture background. This is one of like the first buildings that was taught to me when I started architecture in grad school. It's this, I'm going to butcher it, Oster Postsparkkasse. It's a Austrian or Viennese, what is it? Um, 
postal savings and loan bank, which is a thing they do in Europe and Japan, but not in the States, right? Do they have them in Australia or, or Cuba? Uh, probably. I, I don't. A yeah. post, postal bank is a bank or postal post office is also a bank, right? It's kind okay. of interesting. And, and the, uh, the Japanese postal service is the largest bank in the world by deposits. Actually, it's a bit crazy. Old Japanese people save a lot of money. But so it, when you look at this building, it looks like a Renaissance kind of classical building at first glance, right? The, 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 the buildings on the left and the right definitely are this kind of more classical format. But when you look a little bit more closely, you see there's something a little bit off. It's like, it's quite 90 degree-ish orthogonal. There's all these kind of uh, rivets on the facade and these 90 degree things. And when you go inside the building, it becomes very clear, oh, this isn't a Renaissance building right? Like, or, or a classical building. And the, the reason I talk about this is the way it was taught to me in architecture school is like in the 1900s or so, modernism was basically a response to, we have these three new materials of concrete, steel, and glass, mm -hmm. right? Did, did you guys get that when you were taught architecture a bit or? Yeah. Like, I guess these, these architectural trends were, were probably like based around, um, the technology of the times, I guess, and the right. materials of the time. So they shifted with exactly. what we could build with. Exactly. So, so the way that they kind of explained that to, to when I was going to school was this like, when you had all these new technologies, like they suddenly opened up all these new possibilities that weren't possible with load bearing masonry construction, right? Like bricks and stones, right? A brick and a stone has to carry the weight of the thing above it in a very kind of um, directed manner, whereas, you know, steel is, is so strong um, that it can kind of, you can use, it still has to carry the load, but it can do so in a much more uh, like located fashion, right? So you can have these columns now with the, the beams that are able to take the weight of the thing above it. And so this whole idea of modern architecture is basically a response to these new technologies coming online and then figuring out how do we make space differently now? And in the first examples, we kind of make things that are a little bit similar to the previous thing, right? Like this, the outside of this building, right? But um, this was in 1906, right? That this building was made. This is uh, 26 years later. And, you know, to, to most of my non-architect friends, this is a famous Mies van der Rohe Barcelona Pavilion. Um, Beautiful. This doesn't look like it's from, you know, what, 90 years ago, right? Like this, there's a certain timeless kind of, uh, this, this is before... World War II, maybe even World War One. My, my history dates are a bit off, right? But this this doesn't look like something that would come from from that era, and uh, it's a bit interesting actually. This this whole idea, uh, one of the main ideas that I understand from this thing is that uh, different things should have different functions. So he has these steel columns which are running down, which kind of carry the weight of of the roof, um, and that allows these like. Um, floor to ceiling glass uh, facade panels, right? Which are not structural, but just demarcating space, right? So this idea that these vertical planes can, can, um, can be where they want or they, where they need to be because we have this alternate structure that is, is contributing and, and allowing, you know, you could imagine these mullions, which are the, the, the metal structures next to the window could just be thicker, but he's deliberately chosen to make them thinner to kind of accentuate the view through the glass and to pick up that load with these two columns, right? So in 26 years, you know, this is what like a fully literate, uh, you know, understanding of what you can do with concrete, glass and steel allows for versus this kind of early version. And so I use this example to kind of say like, 
well, okay, we're, we're in the NFT space. We're just kind of cutting our teeth now in this new area. And so what are we doing and what can we do? Right. Mm. Um, and that's where it leads to this whole idea. Our NFT is just JPEGs on chain. Right. So this is a crypto kitty. Right. And, and for me, that's a very, um, I, I would say, you know, I, I'm a bit aggressive in my, my words on the slide <laughs> here, but like it, it's unsatisfying. There's no kind of tension with the medium, right? Like yeah. when I, do you get what I mean when I say well, that? Yeah. Well, Playing coming like from like a creative background and, and you're kind of exploring, you're pushing the boundaries of mm -hmm. what um, this creative medium can produce. Mm -hmm. When you think about an M NFT is only a JPEG, you're like, okay, there must be more than that. Like we're using this mm -hmm. medium, like how can we push it a bit further? And so I can understand definitely like the frustration. Uh, and I think yeah. at, at the moment, people, when they think of NFTs, most people just think of them as JPEGs and that mm -hmm. has a use case. Or links to JPEGs, right? Or links to JPEGs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And like that has its, its purpose, but like it is so exciting to see the future of them, what they can be. And so from, mm -hmm. from that angle, like it can be a bit frustrating if people just, if you think that people define NFTs as just JPEGs when you know that, yeah. you know, this is just the beginning. Yeah. And so, so the, the, the kind of the running theme of the, the, the whole project um, initially, it's, it's interesting. The last time I gave this presentation was before the launch and, and now we're kind of after the launch and I have a little bit of different perspective on it now, but I, I think the project has and hasn't succeeded. Like there have been some kind of conversations about, you know, what the larger undertext of the thing is, there's, there's kind of a few levels to the project. I usually talk about two levels. There's this art level project, which we're kind of talking through now. Uh, we're about to get into it. Like Solowit meets Mark Rothko, who are these two American painters, um, conceptual artists. And then there's like the tech implementation of it, where I think I did something innovative. And my, my biggest fear originally was that people wouldn't be able to separate the, the stylistic, um, not stylistic, the, the two-dimensional renderings that I'm producing in the project, that would be the only thing that they could understand about the project and not like the underlying tech idea, right? And so luckily people have kind of understood what's significant about the tech idea. And then the level underneath that is even lower. It's like, how do I, uh, looking at what was happening in Cardano, how could I kind of direct some of these capital flows towards my wallet so that I could have like financial independence to do what I wanted uh, going forward, which is a little bit more related yeah. to traditional, like, a, you know, um, well, let's call it like DeFi. Uh, it's actually a decentralized insurance idea that I'm working on. Yeah. But, you know, I was limited by my time and, and my day job. So now thanks to this project and thanks to the larger Cardano and NFT community, like I yeah. don't have to, I can, I can do that now. So it's quite exciting, actually. Just, just quickly so, to clarify that, um, that fear yeah. that you had, because I thought that was quite interesting. So your fear mm -hmm. was that people would just see these, these NFTs from what they visually look like yep. and don't kind of um, maybe pay attention to the, the idea or the, the, underpinning, the, deep, yeah. the, the underpinning from it. So that kind of was similar to the building um, that you showed at the beginning where at, mm. from the facade, it looked like mm -hmm. it belonged to this category. But mm -hmm. the interesting part was what was behind the facade. So your I dig it, Blaine. I dig it. <laughs> <laughs> so your answers, your fear was they look at that building or they look at this NFT mm -hmm. and they just see this cool image, the facade, but the actual cool thing is what's under behind it. I I, I mean it, it has happened online. You know, there, there's been a few haters who are like tra la 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 like he <laughs> why are people paying for 
yeah, yeah. Why are people buying, you know, gradients for, you know, at the time it was 50 ADA, it's gone up to like a couple hundred and 4,000 ADA, I think is, is the largest, you know, secondary sale right now. But um, it's, there are people who kind of are, I, I don't know, I think it happens anywhere, they're, but they're like, my kid could do that. Or like, I could do that in Photoshop. Right. And I, and I, it's interesting. The conversation that I usually have is like, they're like, I don't like how this looks. And then usually if they're a bit nicer, they'll couch it in like, but I guess art is just subjective and everyone has their own opinions and blah, 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 blah. And a, a little bit, I think that's a cop out. Like I actually don't think art is subjective at all. I think art is kind of like, uh, like a universal truth and that any, like on an individual level, any one individual can like or dislike something, but art is not about what individuals like or dislike. It's about like something that is in this universe, but not of it. Right. Like it's, it's like, it, it's, it reveals something like true, true and like holy about the greater kind of existence that we are all kind of vibrating in. And I don't think that any one person's individual likes matter at all. I'm not, I'm not like a commie kind of, you know, I'm not a commie anymore, <laughs> but like saying that the individual doesn't matter. But I mean, art is, a, is much larger than any one individual, any one artist or anyone, especially spectator who, who's just perceiving art, right? Like it's not about, I think it gets into this disciplinary conversation that architects are quite used to having. Like what is, what is the discipline of architecture and what are we doing and what are we contributing to kind of this, like, you know, the, the, I don't know, the ticking on of time over the ages, but I don't think it's really about what any one person likes. And I think any, like any great work of art really has to be able to punch through that noise. And it's, it's almost like, um, how do I, this idea I've taken to is like, you can kind of tell the power of a piece of art by its resistance to entropy, right? Like entropy is this thing that like mm -hmm. forces everything to dissolve to middle gray and undifferentiated mass. And like if something is really great, like people will literally build institutions or museums to preserve that thing. Right. And they'll, they'll put it behind glass and people will pay money to go see it. And, and we'll take, you know, selfies, you know, in front of it kind of thing. But like the natural tendency of anything that's made is to dissolve back to nothing. And so when something is really powerful, it kind of forces, you know, even like maybe normal people to kind of look at it with respect and, and kind of say, yeah, we should probably, we're better off if we don't let that just disappear from the world. Right. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, like for, for me, I, interesting when you said, uh, uh, isn't subjective, that it's almost like mm -hmm. a universal truth. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know where I exactly sit on, on that, but uh -huh. the, the idea of law of entropy and that mm -hmm. everything has like an inclination to go from, from order to disorder over time. Mm -hmm. And the, like the role of art for me is like everything pretty much boils down to like ideas and art mm -hmm. is pretty, has a, the special ability to kind of package an idea into a way that is interesting or digestible or to spark some sort of conversation. And so yeah. it's almost um, like your, the role of an artist in a lot of ways is converting that disorder into order through art mm -hmm. in order to, clearly explain an idea perfect so so what one of the i remember twitter discussions i had was like i don't like the way they look i'm like well it's not really about what they look like and they're like the the other person's like how well, what else can you do with art i'm like well it's it's more about the idea between your ears than what you, what's in front of your eyes right like 
at least that's how I kind of personally experience art. What, whatever the whatever the thing is, it's it's almost like again to go to this Arduino idea. Like, there's all this stimulus out in the real world, and that stimulus is kind of like filtered through your sensory organs, and then creates some kind of you know electrical activity in your brain. And and what what that electrical activity kind of triggers or points to or makes you kind of ponder. I think that's 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 kind of where for me where the art piece resides or or what it's meant to kind of trigger is this exactly what you're saying the, the ideas in it are are kind of the point and these are just like the inputs to generate those ideas so yeah. um yeah it's it's pretty pretty interesting yeah. to me I'd love to explore those ideas, but let's finish the the presentation because yeah, yeah. already I've got all these questions, all these questions. Yeah, that I'm... Perfect. I mean, it, it's fun. We can we can circle back to this stuff. Yeah. So, part of the precedent. Uh, this is thanks to these two guys um, from the Stakepool FUPM. Fuck you, pay me. Uh, who who are these? Uh, you know, they went to art school and they they had, they kind of had a better understanding than I did of Saul Lewitt's work. I'd walked by this stuff in a museum, but never really understand understood it. And before their example, I used to talk about it, the project idea as like architect's blueprints versus the buildings, right? There's this idea that uh, on my first day of architecture school, they're like, you're probably here because your mom wants you to build her a house. But let me tell you something, kiddos, architects don't build buildings. We design buildings and other people build them. So there was kind of implicit in architecture, this understanding or idea that you come up with a design and then, you know, you have to communicate with other people how to bring this into the real world. And that's actually pretty similar to how Saul Lewitt worked, um, where he would basically send these instructions to other to, to the gallery or to the museum where his work was being installed on how to create the 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 you know two dimensional image in front of you. Um, and we can see that. I mean, this is almost like it, it turned out to be like a template for unsigs. You can actually see now um, this is yeah. if you imagine like a, a gallery room um, kind of unfolded like a paper dice would be this large rectangle in the lower left hand corner is the floor and then all these other sides are the walls. Um, and if we go up a little bit, you see this one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, up to 16. And what he said is that these are like 16 different shapes these different semicircle or quadrants of circles, straight lines, diagonal lines, squiggly lines, and dashed lines. And what he's saying is take one and two and put them over each other in this lower left-hand corner and iterate through all these different combinations, right? And what that ends up looking like, by the way, this is a Mies van der Rohe, I think, National Museum uh, in, in Frankfurt or Berlin someplace. Uh, you can tell by the loungers, right? Is this kind of um, arrangement of all these different line segments in this on this gallery wall, right? And this has been installed. I think this was in Connecticut someplace, and this is I think at the MoMA in New York. It, you can see a slightly different evolution of the, the the lines on the wall over here. But this is just kind of like this, like again, algorithmic. And algorithm is I think an Arabic word, which is just like procedure or steps, right? This kind of codification of how do you generate this thing or, or this installation. And that's kind of fundamental to the idea of unsigned algorithms. La last example I'll give is, um, this is a beautiful piece, I think, from 1971. Bands of color in four directions in all combinations, right? So horizontal black line, vertical yellow line, diagonal red, upper right to lower left, diagonal blue, upper left to lower right. And you can just see the way they've kind of uh, gone through and and stacked all these layers on top of each other right i there, there's something just i, I noticed uh, a little while ago the bottom right one actually flips this a bit 
the diagonal line is yellow and black, and then the verticals are blue and red, which is different than, you know, uh, the other, every other one is just these four basic primitives repeated. Mm. Um, and you can see the price of this is 75,000 to a hundred thousand. Yeah. Right? Uh, quite nice. And yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> a lot of ADA. <laughs> go ahead and play. A lot of ADA, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe less ADA in the future, but so, so if these are the ideas, um, it, it kind of relates to this idea of constructive geometry in architecture where like the difference between an, an ellipse and an oval, did you did you guys learn that uh, in Baroque architecture or something like that? Um, it, I, I didn't know it until like the third year of architecture school. So maybe I was sleeping in that I, lecture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> an oval, from what I understand, is made of of uh, it's a tangent joining of two separate radii circles, right? But it's actually if you if we were to break an oval into two different shapes, like you would see, there's two uh, circles kind of embedded within. Whereas an ellipse. You take a folk two foci and you take a, a piece of string and you can draw uh, an elliptical orbit is quite often found in, in um, pl planet orbits and stuff like that. But slightly, they look similar, but they're slightly different. And so that kind of in broke architecture, they're, they're always like drawing all these complicated shapes and all these different lines. And I was interested in, in parametric architecture, all this like code driven architecture design. And so mm. a little bit exposed to that. So. These are basically the building blocks for how to, what I do in unsigned algorithms to make all these, let's say, semi-complicated two-dimensional outputs, right? So at the very base layer, um, any image that you see on your computer, if you take a magnifying glass to the screen you're watching this on, you'll actually see it's, it's red, green, and blue pixels, right? So, so any JPEG, any PNG at its core is basically just an Excel sheet full of uh, a red channel, a green channel, and a blue channel, where every pixel location has a number, usually between zero and 255, saying how bright should red or green or blue be at that pixel location. So that, that's a kind of important thing to understand. The next thing is, I, I, I it's really not important. Um, I take these distribution, this is a normal distribution, which looks like a bell curve is usually how people refer to it as or this cumulative distribution, which is basically just adding up or integrating the moving from this curve from left to right to get this kind of uh, S type curve. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not really important the math behind them, but the, the idea was I wanted to stack all these layers together to produce different effects. And rather than having them be like a linear, you know, like straight line from, from left to right or from the middle out, I, I tend to like these kind of, um, gentle shoulders and toes as they're called in, in photography where like you have a, a smooth roll off or a subtle roll off. And so by using these kind of shapes to determine, um, I'm sorry, I should have taken a step back. These, these little five by five arrays of like, if an unsig was five by five pixels, mm -hmm. this is what that would end up looking right. Like if we take yeah. those red, green, and blue, there's these kind of layers that add up where the middle pixels very red, then less red then very lightly red or for green yeah. and blue. And then the same from left to right over there. So if we take that and then we kind of add on to it, this idea of rotation, um, if we start over here on the cumulative side, on the right-hand side of the screen, you know, zero degree rotation, it just mean these things go from nothing to something from left to right. When we rotate at 90 degrees counterclockwise, they go, you know, up to down or down to up, bottom to top, 180 right to left, 270 again, top to bottom. And for the normal, we only do zero and 90 because if you rotated this 180 and 270, 
you'd get back to the other one, right? There's a symmetry there. So it mm -hmm. doesn't make sense to do that, but we're going to get through this in a, in a little bit. So it's all, all about to all come together. The last kind of step, which is kind of where the name unsigned algorithms came from is um, in programming. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot blind. What's two plus two window. Now four. Good, 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 good. I like your answer much better. So yeah, normal, normal thing. Two plus two is four. And in, in unsigned integer space uh, for this bit depth, it's also four, but uh, in, in normal space, what's 10 plus 10 Blaine? Uh, 20. Crap. I, I blew, yeah. Normally <laughs> we would think of this as 20, yeah. but here it's not equals to 20 because so in a, in this kind of unsigned space between zero and 15, we can say 10 plus 10 is actually four. So how does that work? If we start at 10 and we get, you know, we add one, two, three, four, five, we get to 15. But in, in this kind of integer space, if you ever remember like um, Nintendo 64 was 64 bit and PlayStation was 32 bit. What those kind of are referring to is, is the size of the number that can be passed through their kind of computational pipeline so that okay. it can actually do all this stuff, right? And if you have, le if you have a smaller bit number, you're using less memory. Yeah to to hold that thing and so it can't count as high so there's you can't do as complex of a thing um in in some ways so in this space when we add in when we go to five we get to 15 from 10 if we add in one more to six that gets us back to zero so the way i usually explain this is like um that scene in one of the matrix sequels where neo is running in the train station with the guy with long hair and bad teeth the the, the you know what i'm talking about I think so. He, so he's, he's stuck in the train station with the little Indian girl, right? And like he's trying to get back to the machine world or the, the real world, either one. But he tries running through the, the subway tracks. And when he runs through the tunnel, he ends up back at the other side. Yeah. So like there's uh, yeah, something yeah, yeah, like yeah, portal yeah, yeah. connecting it, right? That's, yeah. that's basically what's happening here. It's like the same thing. I never talk about this, but if you were at one and you tr tried to subtract three, you wouldn't get to like negative what? Uh, two, you would get back to like 14 or something like that. Yeah, so th gotcha. th these two things are kind of coupled together yeah. is, is the point. And because usually on, on, when you learn programming, they tell you, make sure you only use when, when you're, when you're using your variables, your, 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 the bit that you're using is large enough to contain the information you're trying to, to use within it. Right. Like if you, because if you encountered the edge of this number space, you'll roll back over and you'll get what looks like an error. Okay. Right. Yep. Because like, if we're, you know, if we were counting the age of a child and they got to 15 and they had a birthday, the program would say they were zero again, which doesn't make sense. Right. So make sure your, your bit depth was larger, but actually for what I was doing, this is kind of like a, a painter understanding their materials so, like enough that they, they use the back of their paintbrush to paint, right? Like you're starting to use, your materials in an unintended way because you have some kind of like mastery or understanding of how they work that you yeah. can kind of bend the rules a bit. Right. Yeah. And so this was a happy accident while I was playing around and I, I, I liked it so much that I decided this unsigned integer uh, should kind of appear in the name of the project. Right. Because this is actually what gives uh, a lot of the distinctive properties that we'll see later to the whole thing, because without this, everything in the project would have just been, uh, color field, like these subtle gradients washing into each other from all the different directions. But because of this weird quirk of, of rolling over, 
Um, that's what causes all these lines to actually occur. When you start to add colors on top of each other and they start to roll back over to the beginning, that causes these kind of black lines or other kind of discontinuities to, 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 to occur. So quickly, as we stack them and we go forward, this is my, this is, this is like the most architectural slide in the presentation yeah. <laughs> uh, from, from architecture days, right? This diagram. So we're going to take these, these properties up to six of them and the six by six array. I don't know if you can hear the kids are going crazy outside. Uh, we'll try to keep it together. So we start with this again, a six by six pixel array and say we throw down a cumulative blue layer, which is this kind of S curve that we were talking about. If we take then a cumulative green, which is rotated 90 degrees, you can see on, on this, this right-hand side edge of the blue, it's going from black to blue, left to right. And on the top one, it's going from black to green, kind of back to front, right? So th th these aren't kind of in alignment with each other. And then what we do is if we were to pro project this down and add these kind of pixel values together, um, you can see in the back left corner of both of them, they're both black. So black plus black is going to be black. And yeah. in the front left corner, the green is adding to the black of the blue. That's also going to be green because green plus black is just going to be green. The same thing happens in, in the blue. The blue is um, in the back right corner is blue and in the upper right is black on the green side. So that's just going to be blue. And the interesting thing happens in the front right corner, right? And all the intermediate positions in between where green plus blue equals cyan, right? And, and I, I did this drawing by hand in Illustrator, right? Like manually changing all the, the, the color values of each cell. So that's, that's why it's only a six by six array and not like a 128 <laughs> by 128. Yeah. But uh, right, you, you get all these kind of beautiful blending. And that goes back to this, this original thing of like, why am I using these kind of base things? It's, it's to get like these intermediate, uh, secondary tertiary color effects happening um, this way. And so that creates that, which is kind of a simple unsig, right? Uh, in a way. Yeah. And then there's this, this other thing, we don't have to talk too much about it, but it kind of relates to this whole architectural idea that everything should have a function or like you should express the functionality of the thing and the form. Yeah. So, so form follows function about, kind of idea. Exactly. Right. And uh, ornament is crime or, or <laughs> minimalism. Right. Yeah. Um, some people interpret this as an error, but it's actually, I think, one like uh, a little bit of um, maybe one of the most genius things in the collection is this idea that rather than storing the code to make every unsig in every unsig, I made an extra unsig which is what came to be known as this zero, 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 zero unsig, which is just a black unsig. Uh, yeah. have, you, have, you, have you seen some of this online? No. The, which one? The zero, 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 zero? The one. zero, zero, zero. Like, you know, somebody offered 30,000 ADA for it after the guy got it. The, 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 the owner didn't sell it for that. So I guess it's technically worth more than that. Yeah, um, right. But it, it's a black PNG, right? And, wow. and the, the, the reason why it's, it's cool, I think, is it contains the code for generating all the other 31,118 unsigs. And the other unsigs all basically <laughs> have a pointer back to it saying, you know, what they have is like a set of arguments or, or properties yeah. that are run in the function that is stored in the 000. And what that does is, you know, that, that code is only what, like 80 or so lines, maybe 20 of them are empty enters just to make it more legible. But rather than copying and pasting that code 31,018 times over the blockchain, 
and you know leaving it everywhere i could just pull it out and put it in one place and the rest of them just say that guy over there that that's my code right wow. and that way you know we 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 have we use one 31118th of the space on chain to kind of represent this entire collection in one single nft and it's it's kind of like a big bang or like a this genesis thing right we're all or, or potential energy, like everything is stored in that thing, or the ability yeah. to create everything is is in that thing, and then so all if, these if other the things. The zero like zero this, one, right. if that one didn't exist, the other ones couldn't exist either. Yeah, exactly. So, so they they would just be properties without any function to run through them, right? And it, inversely, the zero 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 without the other ones would just be like potential waiting to happen. Yeah. Right. So they they kind of feed off of each other right like and and no one would have cared about this zero 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 nft if i had just minted that one and said all the uh, all the other these cool nfts can be generated from this one nobody mm. would have cared right um and, th- and this is a little bit about like the layers to the project or the idea of the project maybe like rather than storing everything on chain in its full glory can you think of smart ways of compressing an idea down into its constituent parts and like I, I kind of say like the the zero 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 is kind of like a load bearing column. And <laughs> these one through thirty-one thousand hundred eighteen are like glass facade, which are beautiful and let light in and I love that analogy. Light, right. And 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 you're 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 just allowing each thing to do its own thing, right? I could I could have put this code in the first one, but to me that seemed a little bit weird that if all like, which is some random blue looking thing, right? If yeah. the blue one also had the code and it was like both like a sibling and a parent to all the other ones that felt wrong to me. So by pulling that kind of code out and putting it into this thing, which no, its only purpose is to contain the code. That was a more kind of clear delineation of the concept and allowed, you know, a, a little bit of, I think, legibility. The, the, the last thing, one of the last things is that um, I talk about parameters, which are these, you know, uh, color, distribution, rotation, uh, and multiplier. Those are all parameters. We take those parameters and we combine them into a single property. When you look at an unsig, it has between one or z- zero and six properties. The zero, zero, zero has no properties, right? And then um, all those properties um, combine you can take up to six of them to make a, a set of combinations and if you if you count all those there's actually 50 million 63,860 combinations that produce unsigs basically right but what i've done is you know people kind of gave me shit early on like why are you releasing 31,119 nfts that's too many right like an nft collection is 10,000 don't you know yeah. you dummy <laughs> I was like an odd well, number like, too. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Exactly. But but for me, it was important that like this is a color study over all the kind of different ways the colors can be stacked and rotated and, and kind of like uh smashed together. And so it felt wrong to kind of arbitrarily randomly select 10,000 of them and say, okay, here's 10,000. Right. I wanted it to be like a complete color study of you know, all, all these different combinations. And so what I came up with was a set of rules, which basically filtered down in a more kind of systematic way from this 50 million number down to the 31,000, which yep. says, you know, these are some, some things that must be true. And every, everyone basically calls or removes 
a large number of unsigs from the population tell it, it's kind of like uh, distilling whiskey or scotch or something like that right like you start with this massive vat of liquid and you boil off or evaporate you know things down to some like more concentrated form which you know i would have loved to have released 50 million of these but i think people would have given me more shit than the 31 million right and so i i also think there's some some positive things by by really by having this more concentrated form it's easier to understand what's happening in the project because you do get a lot more regularity to the unsigs and these kind of uh patterns that appear that people seem to to like so that uh, we've been talking and we haven't seen a single unsig yet so th this is just like a, a a sampling of of some of the unsigs right which which are there um here's another set it's just like randomly scrolling through the the whole collection and then to see you know here here's an example of a simple one uh ba basically the the smaller the number the the less properties there are and we basically just increment over all of the different combinations until we get to the end when things get really complex so this is just like we were saying the multiplier is one it's blue it's a cumulative uh distribution function which is generating so the cdf and it's rotated zero so it just goes from black to blue right and th these are what's known in the in the community now as like single property unsigs there's like 12 of them are quite rare um no one has sold one of theirs yet um because they're they're kind of like treasured if you it's funny if you understand mo most people visually like the more complicated complex ones, yeah right but they're kind of like they understand that this is kind of like a building block or a brick and that like it's it's kind of very significant without this simple blue one which looks like if you open photoshop and you made a wash from left to right you'd get something like this right um but like this is kind of very crucial to the rest of the collection existing yeah and so people uh intellectually enjoy this this is uh, this example, I'm not going to walk through all the examples, but this is kind of what I talk about when we talk about the multiplier of two, right? This is very similar actually to the first one, except it's red and the multiplier is two. So what's happening here? Basically, as we march from left to right, um, we basically hit this, the limit of that uh, unsigned integer space, and then we're starting over again at I the see. black. Does that, so the, yeah. right? Does that make sense there? And so that's what's happening there here we get a little bit even crazier so here what's happening is we have the, the the first property of the blue and the zero so that's that left to right move which you can kind of see at the top of the image right this yeah. marching of, of this if you add in now a blue which is rotated 90 cdf basically this one but in blue rotated 90 degrees counterclockwise and you add those together that's what causes these kind of like um this kind of s curve to appear right and it and and you keep getting more and more complex we're not going to go through all of them but you start to get to these these much more complex shapes and then you start to add in different colors together and that's what creates you know these these very different kind of washes wow. and and geometries and colors all together right um and it just marches on and on and on and what what i really like about it is one of the things that I wasn't really comfortable with in, in a lot of NFT collections is like people kind of treat it like, uh, what do you say? Um, a slot machine, right? Like they put in 50 ADA and they get back something. And if they get back like a, a common one, like it just goes in the trash bin. Like they don't ever look at it again. Right. Like they're basically hoping that they get like a very rare one. And one of the things I've been most happy with is at least in the beginning, the entire community, like 
there was something about like, it was almost like a child being born. Like people, when they got there unsick, even if it was one of the more common ones, like it, they emotionally bonded with it. And like, that was theirs. And they, they felt like some kind of connection to it. And I, the people who sell them tend to say things like, oh, I, I kind of regret it. You know, like, like that was mine. And like, I did it a disservice by, by, by let it, you know, selling it to someone else here. Here's was one of my favorites. I love that one. Um, right. Like as an architect, you got it, right. Like it, this, this is a little bit like a cap palette cleanser, but what's happening here is if you look at the properties, the red, green, and blue, they had the same property in the same rotation in, in all of the things. Right. So it, it like everything kind of all the colors cancel each other out and you just get this black and white progression. Right. And it, it's kind of nice as like a sense of calm after all the crazy mm. that happens. So, so these things are quite interesting. Right. And but, with that one before, I quite liked the, um, the mm-hmm. fact that there's no intersecting lines as well. Like it's, you, you, you kind of, um, a lot of these, you get all these different overlaps and whatnot. And yeah. Yeah. It is quite interesting. Like you with this collection of 31,000 plus, mm-hmm. yeah. you kind of look at them and you're like trying to figure out ways that like your, your different flavor within this collection and maybe some like yeah. points of differences between. And one thing for me from looking at like the collection is I quite like the ones where the, um, either maybe the lack of color, like the one like that you, mm-hmm. that you showed before, but also the yeah. fact that it's, um, they're not intersecting each other. They're kind of existing there without yeah. touching each other, um, which is quite, one of my nice. favorite things that happens is um, these tangencies that occur, right? So here's a set of these, like, let's call them, uh, they're, they're not columns, but like beams, right? That run side to side. And then you get these, these little S curves that the, the, the tangencies that occur, right? Where there, there is this kind of like underlying order because of the math involved that sorry that things they might look random but there's really nothing random in the collection right Mm -hmm. like they 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 go through and it's like every combination of everything here again you know like this diagonal is hitting the 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 intersecting positions of these you know vertical and horizontal things so i don't know like somebody described these in the community as like a scrub brush for your visual cortex like, you know, like they're, they're, you're, you're, they, they kind of, they feel good because like your brain is basically like a pattern recognition machine. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And, and like when it's seeing these and like, it's like seeing all these different things that like occur and reoccur, it's kind of like giving your, you know, like a, a scrubbing to, to, to your, I don't know, frontal lobe or something like that, wherever vision is processed in, in the brain. And uh, here again, right? Like, again, these, these things are just, it's it's a lot like a architectural construction drawing these little detail like how do you detail a building mm-hmm. right like th- does does this edge run past this edge or do they they meet at a point uh different kind of ideas like this so that's kind of the collection um there is this idea of scarcity which i'm not super interested in i i i released this information because um you know if you know the nft game it's like again like you pull a lever and you hope that you get back a rare one and so I, I released this information because scarcity occurs in the collection. And I thought it like as, as an easy way into the collection, I could kind of um, uh, fuck with some of the expectations or let people have like, oh, I can get a rare one, right? As like kind of like an appetizer into the rest of it. But I'm actually not really interested in this whole idea of like, did I pull a, you know, a shiny kind of, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Right. Like this, my, my friend, he, he bought a Cardano bit for, you know, like, I don't know, what was it? 58. 
he flipped it and he sold it for 18,000 ADA. Right. Like, and, and so like he hit the jackpot, he was very happy with that. Right. But like that in, in a way, a lot of NFT, what I see happening in the NFT space right now is like, there's a lot of that behavior going on. Right. Which I, I don't know is really healthy. I'm not really a big fan of it. And so what I, what I, the reason I kind of talk about it is this idea of horizontal scarcity. One of the things that people have done, I didn't know if they would, but they, they kind of have is start to compose their unsigs into larger compositions. And so this idea, you know, I took four from the collection and I tried to find, you know, um, adjacent or, or ones that they weren't actually the, the adjacent ones in the sequence, but like ones that I could put together. If you look at this, like they actually ma- all the edges match perfectly. Right. Um, and so you could kind of, if you, if you eliminated the white space, dividing these four unsigs, you could imagine this was like a single unsig almost altogether. It doesn't actually exist, but uh, the idea there was that maybe scarcity is unique or subjective to what you have, right? Like you might, for you, if you didn't have this upper left one, that would be like a really important piece for you to try to acquire if you wanted to complete this composition. But for hmm. everyone else, this is just like another random unsig that has Interesting. not like a lot of special meaning. And so the idea that scarcity is, is like a more, you know, horizontally distributed rather than like a pyramid structure where this is the rare one, that was an idea that I, I, you know, was pretty keen on exploring and, and some people are picking up and I like it. So, you know, th- this was a slide that I didn't know, but I think, it, like I said, this is maybe it has succeeded, at least with some people, with enough people that I feel I'm happy. But the goal of the collection is to, was to produce a collection of pieces, which begins a conversation around what the potential for the medium is. And yeah, some people don't get it. Some people, you know, throw a lot of hate my way on Twitter or whatever, but like, it doesn't really matter at this point. I literally quit my day job. I don't have to work anymore. <laughs> and like, hate Mich- is going to hate. I don't really care. Hate, right? hate is going to hate <laughs> whether, no matter what you do, that's just kind of how it is, unfortunately. Yeah. But- and so, I mean, I, I, what I am surprised by, I guess, is that anyone got it. Like, I kind of expected, you know, to be like a, uh, you know, a frustrated artist, like sitting here in my office being like, nobody understands no one me. Gets <laughs> right. But like, I was totally denied that satisfaction of like, you know, because too many people got it. And, and you were denied I the satisfaction the dis- of dissatisfaction. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of, of feeling like I had such a, you know, great intellect that nobody could understand my genius or whatever. Right. Cause I think there's like almost a 700 or 800 people in the discord now all talking about unsigs all day and night kind of drives my wife crazy. Like, what? don't these people have anything better to do? <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's taken on a life of its own and it, it's quite fun. Like we're at, at this point now we're trying to set up like a kind of a community fund or I yeah. have some, some collabs and some other stuff where uh, there, there's some additional tools maybe people want or some other um, different like features that they would like to do with their unsigs. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to auction off those pieces and put all that, the ADA that's raised from that, because I don't really need it anymore, um, into like a community wallet. And then the community is going to vote on what do they want to see developed. And then other people will develop those kind of features for them. And I think that's kind of a cool idea, kind of like a, a mini DAO or something like that, you know, uh, to, to do Love some that. cool stuff with. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's the presentation. Um, and we can, we can get back to, to whatever you want to talk about or, or however you want to take this. 
So right, sorry well, for so, running my, my yapper too much. No, so many questions. Like, first of all, I, I really love the concept. And when people um, kind of view NFTs and they may look at, you know, these cool unsigs and like, this is just like an mm-hmm. abstract kind of visual art piece. Mm-hmm. You've just presented this presentation, uh, pretty much break down, breaking down the whole uh, method behind mm-hmm. uh, unsigs and how you develop this concept. So there's this massive story behind it. It's like it presents mm-hmm. as this image, but there is a lot of thought mm-hmm. that uh, went kind of got you to that particular point. So that's one thing that yeah. I quite liked about um, your project is uh, it is you're pushing the boundaries about what an NFT is, but you're also kind of um, shifting the focus in a way. You're shifting it away from, I guess, what something looks like and you're pushing it to the idea. Exactly. And so with this NFT, like the NFT is actually, can you just maybe clarify? So when mm-hmm. someone buys an un- unsig NFT, the NFT isn't this JPEG. It's yeah. the code, right? You're right. Maybe, can you quickly so, talk about that? No, per- perfect. I mean, you you got it, Blaine, and I'm so glad that you did. So really to me, the the, the, the code is the NFT. And it's almost like a factory where like a little magic pill, one of those sponges that like uh, you add water to and then it blows up, right? I include a link to the image as like a service to the people who are viewing it so they don't have to add water. But what's really cool is that even if that, that link dies because like the internet blows up or whatever, if you have a copy of the Cardano blockchain, you can recreate your unsig. And, and somebody actually did this independently with no assistance from me where they were looking at their unsig and they're like, huh, what's all this stuff in the metadata of the transaction, right? And then they, they basically followed the breadcrumbs kind of like Council and Gretel style back to the zero, zero, zero. They got that code, they, they ran it and, and then they were able to make their unsig. And the other cool part of that too is that they're kind of resolution independent. There's one number in that code, which is what resolution do you want it to be generated as? So I'm generating uh, right now a 16,384 pixel version of the entire collection. It's been running for two or three days now because people are wanting like higher res versions of them to print. Mm -hmm. Originally, they were 4,096 pixels by 4,096 pixels. But like, there's no reason why you can't arbitrarily scale this up to whatever resolution you want to. Um, and they, they get quite, I don't know, the, the, the color transitions and, and the, the, the trend, everything just looks so good on these, you know, if we have like 20K displays in the future or whatever kind of thing, right? Like, uh, it's, it's kind of nice to me. Yeah. That, um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that the NFT as code is super interesting. So like for me, when I think about that, so you're tokenizing an idea as opposed mm-hmm. to tokenizing what that idea produces. And if we apply that to kind of art, I, I, I don't know, like I could be wrong with this, but it, it seems like we haven't been able to actually buy um, the idea directly. Like if you buy a piece of art, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're buying the reputation, representation of that idea. You're not yeah. buying the idea directly. Uh, Yeah, that's where the Saul LeWitt thing comes in, right? Like the interesting thing is you you see this contact for price. Yeah. uh, Right. Like this was a screenshot from a gallery. They were actually selling this set of instructions, right? To produce, um, where was it? Back towards the, 
this this is what that thing you know produces but someone was an actual like serious art gallery was selling the set of instructions right so in a way that that's why i'm calling out this solo wit thing here like in a way this idea has existed and is existed but we're also kind of updating it for the i just want to give credit where credit is due right like this is Mm. not my genius idea right like it is what, what, what i think is nice about this idea is that um is it in this presentation or not? There's some examples of his work. Uh, maybe it got cut. But like other people can paint Solowit paintings, but they're still called Solowit paintings if they follow these instructions because the actual hand that paints the stuff on the wall is not so important. And so it kind of gets to this thing that you're talking about. What is the idea of the art versus the execution of it? And in my case, the idea is all this kind of math and the operations that I came up with and the hands, rather than being a person, they're a computer, right? Which is going off and let's say painting all these different iterations of, of the collection. And some people say like, Oh, they're, you know, I don't like computer generated art, but like the computer didn't generate it. The computer executed it. Right. Mm. Like if you, I, I challenge you turn on and off your computer, 31,000 times, you're not going to see an unsig pop out on the screen, you know, um, ever or, yeah. you know, for, in the lifetime of the universe. Yeah. So it, 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 it is not there's soulless or whatever. I, I really just view a computer as a paintbrush, right? Generative art. This is not a new idea either, right? Generative art has been around for maybe 30 or 40 <laughs> years now. So, yeah, but this form of generative art is, um, <laughs> using technology that's available kind of today but yeah, yeah I, I really yeah fascinated i, I don't want to continue to uh, bring it up but just the idea of um i think it's quite refreshing and powerful in a lot of ways to be focusing on the um the creative iq behind something mm. as opposed to mm. you know what it looks like you like you're you're putting an yeah. emphasis on what's inside almost compared to what's on the outside, which is quite nice. Um, I think that most art is like that, right? Like I said, I, I've never walked through a museum and been like, I like how that looks. I don't like how that looks. That, that's usually maybe the first thing that causes you to stop in front of a piece, right? And, and ponder it. But if there's not something behind it and you're just looking at a pretty picture, who cares? Yeah. Right? Like, like if you go to an art museum, like there's art pieces where it might just be like a blank canvas. And if mm-hmm. and that blank canvas could be I don't know, a million millions of dollars, for example, mm-hmm. if you're yeah. buying that, if you're spending millions of dollars um, purchasing that blank canvas art piece based on purely what it is on the outside, on the superficial mm-hmm. level, you're wasting your money because you can buy that blank mm-hmm. canvas from, uh, you know, from some yeah, down shop the store, down right? the down the road. But maybe it's worth. Uh, millions of dollars because of the, what that blank canvas symbolizes. And so there's a story here. There's this idea that leads up to this point that you're actually, that actually instills that value into it. Um, mm-hmm. One idea that you mentioned was the horizontal scarcity. So mm-hmm. when you're talking about that, that kind of made me think of age unsig almost as like a, like a block or, or like a brick. And so you, you can yeah. have these bricks and then you can, um, you know, add these bricks to each other to build like a unique kind of building mm-hmm. and people like certain types of buildings, but you kind of need like that's horizontal scarcity is um, kind of combining these bricks into something that is, 
is unique. So like maybe if you just like um, black and white images or something, mm-hmm. you may find value in collecting just the black and white unsigs and then mm-hmm. compiling that into a, an art, which is yeah. extremely valuable to you because based on your preferences and your value structure exactly. and all that kind of stuff. And pe- people are doing this, right? Like they're starting to, to kind of create little mini collections where they're they're kind of curating and trading off ones that maybe don't speak to them or be, maybe the, like like I said I'm quite happy that people don't seem to dislike any of them but like they they certainly have ones they like more than others and so they're trying to like acquire some kind of it's a, it's almost like Legos right and that's part of the reason why I didn't want to cut it down to ten thousand right is that I wanted people to have more kind of building material to work with. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and if you, every time I remove something, like I was basically eliminating something from the playset, right. Uh, for this, this next phase of the collection, which I don't really have a part in, I don't really have a, a say in, but it's like, what does, what do people start to do with this now? Right. And, and people have, have taken it in quite some fun ways that are mm-hmm. quite interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, I like that I'm not the center of the conversation anymore. Right. Like I can see, like it's kind of kicked off and, and it seems like people are going to be, uh, I, I deliberately don't make any unsick compositions because I don't want like I, uh, my voice to be louder than anyone else's in this kind of playground or whatever space that I've created. Uh, I think that if I started to do something, people might say like, oh, that's what you're supposed to do. That's right. And the other stuff is wrong. And I don't, I don't want to do that. So I just, I just sit in back. We have a channel in the discord where people just share the different things that they've done. And it's quite nice to see uh, one comment that I get a lot is like, I, I used to be a photographer and then life happened. And now I'm like, I have no creative outlet and like unsix have like re-sparked my creativity. And, and it's quite a nice, like, you know, regardless of the value or the merit of what people are creating, it's just nice to, you know, in, in like the, the kind of drivel of everyday life and like the lack of creative, uh, you know, energy that's, that all of us have because of the realities of living. It's really nice to have this idea that someone who maybe didn't have like a, a an outlet before now feels like, you know, e- even if this, even if they don't do something with the unsig themselves, like it re-sparked this creativity and now they're going off and to do something else that they were passionate about. Like I, I that to me is quite exciting. Right. Mm. Well, I definitely fit into that. But uh, mm. like this has sparked like some creative spark inside of me where I want to like explore maybe more of my architectural roots because mm. I kind of haven't been active in exploring that over the last couple of years. Um, yeah. And it's, it's cool. Like me kind of me, learning me more too, about <laughs> <laughs> me learning about Let's this. this. Go. <laughs> but like, seriously, it's cool. And it seems like from what you just said, there's, there's um, a lot, a number of people that have been kind of inspired from this project, which is like super cool. And it's nice mm-hmm. that this is happening on Cardano from like, from like some sort of selfish perspective that um, this, this, um, this idea is going to evolve within this ecosystem as well. Um, mm-hmm. And like within Cardano, it seems like there is, um, you know, the scientific flavor. There's also this flavor of like, I really want to try and change the world uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh and you kind of touched on that when you're like, I've got enough ADA. I, I want to create this community wallet and tr- create some kind mm-hmm. of DAO. Like mm-hmm. I hear stories like that all the time in Cardano. And mm. like, that's the reason why I got into this ecosystem in the first place was because yeah. um, 
Charles Hoskinson really sold me on the, on this dream of changing the world. And it seems like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of people, it, it attracts a certain type of person. Um, but what I definitely was, think that the, the audience is very different than like the normal, like altcoin moon boy kind of thing. And so I like, I think if I had tried to launch this project on another chain, I think I would have been that like frustrated artist crying in my room that like nobody yeah, gets me. Right. I think so. But because of the kind of audience that Cardano has, I kind of like borged into that. And there was already like an assemblage of people who were more, not, not everyone in the Cardano community, but enough people, there was some kind of critical mass that like it could become its own kind of storyline. And that was, that's quite interesting to me mm-hmm. and quite hopeful for the future of Cardano that like you have a community of like thoughtful creative like kind of deep thinkers and so like projects that might not succeed on other chains have a higher chance like if they're actually like different and and interesting and have some kind of like deep thought behind them they have a larger chance of success on cardano than on maybe some other random you know blockchain 3.0 kind of thing yeah one idea that just popped into my head was we've got these nfts on different chains Mm-hmm. By having the NFT as the code itself, is that one potential solution of making it multi-chain? Because, like, how, like, have you thought about um, that? Like, the idea of um, I, I haven't. I mean, I'm a little bit weird because I I know that you know Cardano doesn't usually go with maximalism or like one chain only kind of thing. But I only hold Cardano. I only you know like. Uh, really think about, I'm a little bit interested in Chainlink for the Oracle aspect and, and the getting information from the real world into the uh, eco chain or blockchain ecosystem. Um, but uh, I, I mean, I have no plans of, the, re- really, when it comes down to it, an unsig is just a bit of text stored on chain, Yeah. right? It's just a set of instructions. It's not even code that is run on the chain, right? Like it's, it's, it's really like sheet music or an architectural blueprint stored on chain. And you, you kind of need to create it someplace else. So an unsig could be stored on any other chain. I, I think Cardano makes sense because I think, um, again, from an entropy perspective, like Cardano is more likely to last a long time because it doesn't need as much like power to run and, and it can be more spread out. So as long as like Cardano exists, my art that I've created will exist. And, yeah. you know, that, that was kind of important to me. Yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I think Cardano definitely, uh, at least based on where it's at at the moment, uh, has the best chance of speaking of entropy, converting that disorder into order. Like it's, it's, um, yeah, this whole fundamental approach I think is going to end up being uh, probably the the most really efficient yeah. tool in in that. I quite I'm quite interested in the idea of um, entropy and and um, obviously there's a lot of joy in disorder. So it's this balance mm-hmm. of like disorder and order, which, which I'm quite, and humans are probably the only uh, species that actively convert disorder into order, which again, mm-hmm. is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, when you're well, talking- in- Intentionally, right? I mean, intentionally. Having, a, having a child, right? Uh, like you're creating, you're eating all these like nutrients, whatever, if you're a dog or a whale, whatever, right? And you're producing order in like another living thing. Yeah. Do yeah. you get what I'm saying? But, yeah, but yeah. I, I get what you're saying. Like, in our environment, I kind of view us as like entropy eating machines. Like it's almost like the definite purpose of life, right? Like we kind of munch through the universe and like stuff comes in our mouths, comes out our asses. Right. And like, that's very like a 
example of entropy, right? Like you're taking this order and it's, it's becoming disorder. But if you can produce a local imbalance where like through your personal actions and thoughts and deeds, you're creating a little bit more order in this very chaotic universe. Like that's a, that's a pretty exciting thing. Like that you're kind of turning black back the clock or whatever, or this arrow of time. Hmm. When you're talking about the ANSIG number zero, 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 hmm. zero, five zeros. Yeah. <laughs> five zeros. And that was kind of like, um, kind of like the, like the, I don't know how you referred to it as, but Aha that's a like, moment, whatever, right? Like yeah. Function. But like it, the zero unsig is the most fundamental unsig. Um, would it be fair to say like the lower the number, the more fundamental the unsigs are to the concept? Um, the, or no? the, the lower number ones, they occur. You can find that same unsig many, many times throughout the collection. Even right. the ones with more than one property, like, not not literally that, but like if you were to ex- to look at the properties that make it up, you would find that set of properties in many other ones, right? And that, that's kind of like by virtue of like the fingerprint is as a simpler fingerprint. And so if you were to look at some of these five and six property and six or even three and four and five and six, like it's very likely that they have one of the initial single property and six in them. There's mm-hmm. less of a chance that it has one of the two property and six in them. There's even less of a chance that it has a three, right? But, but they, they, because they just keep building on and on and they have like extra flourishes on them, you know, um, as you go to the end of the collection, things get a little bit crazy. And the ones that exist with more properties, they don't exist in the, in the, the beginning of the collection, right? Like you start to get in some of these six property ones, like quite unique geometries and shapes which are actually just a stacking of the simpler geometries that produce what looks like more complexity. But if you, once you get an eye for it, you can tell, Oh, that's like a twisted hourglass or that's a, that's a, you know, these different kind of shapes that people are coming up with terminologies for in the community now, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. You have all these like taxonomists, you know, looking over the lens hunts and, and classifying them and taking them apart. But um, I wouldn't say it's more fundamental. It, it, it is, it's, maybe pivotal, right? Like the collection can't exist without the zero, 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 zero in its current state. And the other ones also, like if you were to eliminate that, that blue one and say by eliminating it, no one else can use that property, then yeah, it is more fundamental. Right. Um, but if you were just knocking out that one with like a a BB gun from like an array of 31,119, it's individual in existence, existence or not doesn't really impact the other ones but if you think of it as a concept and thinking yeah like if we we knock that out and all the possibilities that are created from that one are downstream eliminated then yeah they are kind of more fundamental or more base um, than the others if that makes sense yeah you mentioned earlier that uh, based on the original goals of unsigs that (laughs) there was it was a success and and also a failure do you want to maybe talk about the, the failures, like how did this fail? And, and what are the small failures in your eyes about how this has unraveled? Uh, the, the, one of the things I'm really uncomfortable about is like this mobile gaming loot box aspect of buying NFTs, right? Like, so a lot of people were like, I got addicted to buying unsigs, <laughs> right? Like, cause th- there was this reveal thing where like when you bought one on the site, like you, there was like a, a representation of it behind a logo of the project and as you bought it it like turned over and like that to me was a bit 
to like Facebook, big tech, dopamine, gotcha. you know, hacking kind of thing where people were like, must buy, must buy, must buy. Right. Like, and, and they had fun and they seemed to have like, they had like the capital and the reserves to, to do that. But that that's something I definitely felt I didn't intend. And I felt a little bit uncomfortable with, I mean, I thought a large unsig holder would be someone with like three to five unsigs. There are, there are a few people that have like thousands of unsigs. I think the most is like 3000 something like wow. a few people, <laughs> a, a few people it's, it's, so that's another failure. Maybe like I, you know, I, I didn't put any mechanism in place to limit the number of unsigs you could buy because you, you can't really right? like it's a, it's hmm. a permissionless blockchain. If someone wanted to, they can just make another wallet. They can go and buy more, right. This kind of thing. But, um, I kind of see it almost as an example of like what I'm calling Marvel versus the museum, right? Like there are other projects which are more, um, I'll call it, we tend to call them like Pokemon type projects, right? Like, you know, they're like collectible things, whatever, like this version of this thing and all that, whatever. And, and that's fine. Like people, I, I used to collect comic books and uh, baseball cards and what, like I enjoyed collecting things. Like uh, that was part of my personality. Um, and I have no hate towards anyone who enjoys that, but like, this is a very different kind of project, right? Like it, 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 it is more of like a capital A art project, like speaking to what is like the art discipline doing and, and this kind of uh, moves. And so I felt a little bit uncomfortable. I would have liked it to be more like well distributed, you know, like more people with less number of unsigs. So that was kind of one of the, the failures of the project, but I kind of like, see it as an expression of like, oh yeah, there's less people that go to museums, but those people tend to have more money than people who go see Marvel movies. Like that's not, I'm not making it like, is that right or wrong? That's just like a fact, right? Like yeah. people with refined tastes tend to, or sometimes have more money and they put more money behind their interests than, um, so, so that I would have liked, you, you get what I'm saying, right? Like I get, I I did, yeah, I definitely get what you're that. saying. Yeah. You know, at the same time, I felt very kind of honored that like, I feel like I have a few patrons now, right? People who put in over a hundred thousand US dollars into buying, I, I don't think they're JPEGs on chain, right? Like that's the fundamental premise of the thing. But like, essentially no one had to buy any of these. Like my mom sent me a very worried message. If you go to unsigs.com, like you can, you can look through the entire collection and you can download like a 4k version of any of the images. She's like, honey, people are going to steal from you. I'm like, mom, it's on chain. Like anyone can steal from me if they want to. Right. Like yeah. people are choosing to buy it. Like, I don't really understand NFT ownership, right? Like why, why, what, what does it mean when you buy an NFT and why would someone choose to support you? I, I kind of view it as like a better version of Patreon. You know what I mean? Like Interesting. people are just able to support me. They don't have to, of course, there might be some financial incentive in it for them. If they're able to, if that, you know, owning that token is able to be uh, sold in the future kind of thing. But I, I honestly think it's, it has, I'm, you know, my brain can't really understand why someone would do this. Okay, other so than one, one, one aspect is the financial reward in the future, but two, like, no, it's like, I like what this person is doing. I want to support what they're doing. I want to see them do more of it. So interesting. So like obviously NFTs are advertised like a big word that is associated with it is the fact of ownership. And we now mm -hmm. have a technology where we can verify that, that ownership on the blockchain. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so you're saying that you obviously get that part of it, but you don't like, you can't really make sense of why that's like, a like important for this or like you don't, do you think there's another thing that is superseding that? And the other thing so, is like just supporting someone. Some, some, some part of it is, uh, because generative art has been around for 30 or 40 years, like I kind of think, and by that, I mean like computer generated, you know, like pixely kind of stuff in a way, I think people didn't really understand how to value that because it was inherently copyable, right? Like you could just copy the file over, run it on another computer. And there was no way of like understanding an original, what, what NFTs do. I think a lot of people confuse NFTs as like a distribution medium. And yes, they are inherently distributable because you can send them across the world, you know, for one ADA or so 1.5 ADA or something like that. Um, but I think it NFTs are much more about authenticity, right? And there was this this there was this weird Cardano mirror project that somebody did, right? Where they tried to like they did copy a bunch of NFTs. And in my mind, like those things weren't really copies because there's this weird thing about like uh, not weird, it's fundamental to any blockchain you have your private keys and you create a signature and like you sign these things. Right. So what they had done is they had copied all these NFTs and they signed it with a different, a different set of keys. So it produced a different signature. So from my perspective, those were not anything to do with the original, right? Like, you know, the, if, if the content and the signature don't add up to this, this thing, then it's not really the same thing. And so like, they have no value to my mind, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, a, it's, it's just like a Xerox, but not even like that. Like you can inherently tell that this was not made by me. And so I don't think anyone would have any kind of cachet or like social brownie points. Like, oh, look, I have this cool piece of art in my wallet, but like, oh, you bought the bootleg. Like, why didn't you support the artist? Why didn't you support the larger community? You know, like I would almost say like, it's like going to Hot Topic and buying your goth gear or whatever, right? Like, um, sorry for the American example, but like, it's kind of like a, a poser thing to do to buy like a fake NFT in a way. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I definitely uh, can get that point, but like, cause blockchain is obviously still um, very new and NFTs are still very mm-hmm. new as well. I think at the moment, like with the blockchain, you can write things to the blockchain and we're kind of lear- learning how to do that uh, more effectively and provide more value through writing stuff to the blockchain. I think one thing that we're lacking at the moment is um, from like a general user point of view is we're still learning how to read the blockchain. So um, with NFTs, I know that all the unsigs are sold out at the moment from your website, but mm-hmm. there's, you can buy them on the open market. Yep. And one thing I wonder is when they, um, when people are trying to buy an unsig for the first time, how do they read that metadata to know that this is an original versus a copy? Like, can you give any tips for people that are looking to buy one on the open market, but like they don't really know where to look in terms of verifying if this is legit or if it's a fraud. So there's this thing that when you're buying an NFT, you should make sure it's called a policy ID. And it's basically like just, it looks like a wallet address. It's just a random string of numbers in my Twitter profile. I have the unsigned algorithm policy ID as part of the bio. So what you can do is if you copy that and you paste that into this right now at cnft.io is the main marketplace, right? You'll search only for uh, NFTs that have that policy ID. Okay. And and that will make sure. And I also think I linked in a few tweets and in the Discord 
uh, there are links explicitly so that when you click that link, you're only looking at un unsigs within my, that I have made from my collection, right? And every, if someone were to make some fake ones, like they wouldn't even show up there because they wouldn't show up as being the same thing, even though they were called, you know, unsigs, whatever, unsigned algorithms, like it wouldn't yeah. matter. Like there's a very easy way of filtering out. Whereas like with a painting, you'd have to go to an expert. You'd have to see. And like, they would have to like you know, get the magnifying glass yeah. out and be like. And, and who even knows, you know, like they used egg yolks to recreate the thing. Right. Yeah. And like so I had a I was reading some Telegram chat. Like I was trying to explain to my artist friend that like, you know, an NFT is kind of it's, it's like them signing a painting. And my comment was like, except it's actually works because signing a painting doesn't prove anything. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. an, an, a physical signature is like the easiest thing to forge, right? Like oh. just because like your name appears on a painting doesn't mean that you made it, right? But the, the idea of a of physical like signature, like in this yeah. day and age is like, what the heck are we like, okay, just scribble. Like no one, it's like, you just, it's just in, a formality. We use these uh, really stupid stamps, right? That they, they just outlawed or not outlawed. They, they got rid of because of COVID, but like we stamp everything with like our seal, right? Yeah. That is, that represents, it's like a signature kind of thing, but it's, it's quite silly. Probably quite better than a, better than a scribble yeah, yeah, on yeah. a piece of paper. But, but it's so funny to watch a bank person when they inspect your stamp, they, they get like the registered version printed and then they put the, the document above it and they flip back and forth very quickly between them <laughs> just try to see if there's any difference. It's an yeah. insane thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so just quickly, just to, so the policy ID is key for those that yeah. are looking to buy in the marketplace. Um, that's the signature, right? That's so the if, signature. If you don't know what it is, I don't know that we can explain it all here, but it's kind of like if, if I were to try to send money from your wallet to another person, right? I could say I'm sending money from Blaine's wallet to, you know, my wife, and I could sign that message with my own keys, but it would produce, it wouldn't work on the network. Right. Cause like it would, the network was like, Oh, Alex's keys don't match the keys for, for your account. And so what's, what's different with NFTs is it would, I wouldn't be allowed to spend your ADA. Right. You are allowed to mint anything to the network, but it's, it, so it, the analogy a little bit breaks down because someone could mint my my content. But again, like if you understand what a policy ID is and you see that the policy ID is different, you haven't really copied anything because there's no cachet to owning a fake NFT, right? Or or utility, right? Like because it's that that's where I say people confuse it as a distribution mechanism. It's not like Netflix. It's not like a DMCA. Like. You know, you can't access it. Anyone can access an NFT from anywhere and they can view it, right? Like mm. you don't have to own an NFT to be able to look at it. So yep. what does this mean is to me, it's not about viewing or the utility from being able to see the NFT. It's actually about physically or not physically, electronically owning an authentic thing that was like touched by the artist or made by the artist, right? Um, and and if, you, if you take away that bit by, by the artist, like what difference is that to just looking at an authentic NFT, right? Owning a copy of an authentic NFT is no different than just looking at a real version of it in a web browser, right? So like, what's the point? There's no point to copying it other mm. than to defraud people or to, you know, this Cardano mirrors project was trying to, I guess, speak to some kind of performance art thing, whatever, but um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I'm just and ordering a coffee from my wife. She's, she's asking. Yeah. <laughs> go, go ahead. Thank you. Um, 
So unsigs is a type of generative art. Is generative mm-hmm. art, generative art kind of synonymous with algorithmic art, um, pro- producible? Uh, are they all kind so. of the same thing, roughly? I mean, you, you see a lot of these like vector fields and flows. Like I, I was exposed to it, I think maybe 10 years ago when I was learning programming because uh, Arduino is based off this other thing called processing. Uh, processing is like uh, a programming language that was set up and design IDEs that was set up for like artists to make visual generative art with, right? So it's kind of like a, a baby programming language type thing. And so in that area, like there's a lot of these like... Um, just like field flows of like randomly length hairs that like flow around and blow in the wind. You see a lot of, uh, what are they called? Flocking algorithms. Like imagine you have a set of birds and they, they're they all like randomly flying around, but they tend to like, you know, pack together. And then some of them go off. Like that kind of thing is quite common and, and um, kind of like a generative art 101 type thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of it. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, and if we had to, for someone that's like um, still trying to understand, I guess, the fundamentals of generative art, if like if you're trying to put it into a formula, would it be something along the lines of you have like input mm-hmm. times some sets of rules and then mm-hmm. that produces something? Exactly. I mean, the, 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 the presentation that I walked you through, right? Like that's basically setting up the, the, the terms of engagement or the rules of the game. And then like, that's like, you know, setting up all these dominoes all over the room. And then I, you know, hit go and then it, it goes off and it says, okay, do all this other stuff. Um, but e- even that, like it was, there's like rules, which dictate rules, right? Like yeah. the, the, okay. How do you combine these things together? Like, even if you just said, these are colors, these are multipliers, these are distributions. It's not like you can just like shake them in a vat, uh, you know, in a, in a Tupperware and you'll get unsigs out of it. Right. Yeah. There, what, what I like about generative art is it forces you to kind of think at a higher level of abstraction or like I've played around with painting before and you can, what's nice about painting is you can kind of spontaneously discover something while messing around on a canvas. Right. And you, you can like, and maybe it's your subconscious and Freud is, you know, talking to you or whatever kind of thing, but you can kind of like something can come out. What's very different. I think about generative art is like the explicitness and it, 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 I think it's a little bit compatible with what you were talking about. Like you really have to have an idea, right? In your head of what it is you're trying to do and how do you then accomplish it, right? I wanted to have kind of like your, your background lighting scenario, this red and this blue. I wanted to say like, I want to mix all the colors and all the ways and see all the resulting combinations. Okay, mm-hmm. now how do I go do that, right? And that, that's what I mean when I say unsigned algorithms at its core, it's like a color study, right? Like it's, it's this like, it's, it's this painterly thing about like, what does it mean? Or what does it look like when we mix this color with this color? Da, 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 da. And I think it's quite interesting. It tends to evoke this quite emotional response in people, right? Where they, they, they get quite, um, I don't know, not financially invested, but emotionally invents, invested in what they're seeing. And like, it's, it's quite nice. Like the intensity of emotion that people seem to be feeling when they, when you look at your unsig like full screen and you just kind of like, I don't know, space out for a couple minutes. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 I don't know. It's nice. I like it. Well, you have 31,000 odd uh, <laughs> unsigs, each with its own kind of set of patterns and right? humans yeah. are programmed to kind of read through, through patterns. Mm-hmm. And depending on 
your state of mind in that very moment when you see that answer, mm-hmm. you'll resonate with ones more than others. Like for me, exactly. I quite like the the minimalism of the the black and the white, and uh-huh. the fact that there's, there's no intersection. And maybe that's me. That one was my favorite. That I, I don't own it. Someone else got it. Some random German dude on Twitter, uh, yeah, who's not part of the community, but yeah, that's, yeah. That's but it's like cool. Like, why do I like that particular pattern? Like for me, um, like a little bit introverted, and we live in a mm-hmm. world that's maybe quite chaotic, yeah. and there's a lot of moving yeah. parts. So. Mm-hmm. For me, maybe I gravitate to that because it's simple. There's less moving parts. And <laughs> this is probably me reading too deep into it, but um, maybe I, I like the ones where there aren't any intersecting lines because that's the introvert in me coming Cleaner. out. It, it's like, it's, it's, it's not these things touching or. Well, or well like maybe it's like, I, I kind of like being by myself. And so yeah. I'd rather yeah, lines they, they, not they, touch they, each other. <laughs> That, that's all. so one of, one of the things we're going to plan on doing is actually what you just did um i did it in another interview but the guy kind of similar to you like he's like he showed he had like maybe 15 or 20 unsigs right this was in phase one when you could get them quite cheaply right and he's like i like all of them but these two bother me and like we, we kind of like walk he, he showed me the two that he didn't like and it, like he was like he there was this like blue lightly ghost blue layer over them and he's like like it's like a fog. Like I want to see the thing behind it, and it's and he was a philosophy major, so he like he had I, I I kind of like couch analyzed him to say like exactly what you did to yourself right now. Like we kind of unpacked like oh it's like you have this obsession with like finding truth, and so anything <laughs> that gets between you and truth is like your enemy, and like you don't you know. And so after we did that, it was quite funny. Uh, you know, like he felt like he understood his unsig better, and he liked that, and so it's kind of like a Rorschach test these yeah. ink blots right like it's almost like what you project onto the unsig is is more important than the unsig itself but i definitely like that i think that's something that could be really fun it's, it's awesome that you were you know like uh self-aware enough to kind of unpack yourself and figure out <laughs> what is the thing that that is in it i, I love it yeah it's Great like answer. a psychology like psychology tool almost like my girlfriend's yeah. a psychologist and her whole family are psychologists her parents are psychologists oh, no. her brother's psychologist run. blaine run <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love it like i love thinking about all these things like so when we have yeah. dinners uh, when i have dinner with them mm-hmm. i'm always bringing up like these cool ideas so i'm going to bring up uh-huh. unsigs and be like what does this uh-huh. mean there's colors yeah. here why does this resonate with you <laughs> yeah. it'd be interesting to get some color theorists and then psychology you know like red and blue whatever whatever this means kind of thing i mm. l- l- let me know how that that goes out that would be quite yeah i'll definitely let you know um mm. there's there was originally a lot of questions i wanted to ask but um mm. I, I think I, I might have to get you on another podcast to break down okay. the more yeah. general ideas to. like around because i'd love to explore um more the relationship yeah, between I, I, I know youtube content time is a thing so if, if, you, if we want to keep this as like the general exposition and then we have like a deep yeah. dive version two i think that could I, I, yeah. I really like you also <laughs> i really like you too for those <laughs> pre-recording we, we said that <laughs> yeah, okay. i like you well maybe uh, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's confirmed. It's confirmed. I'm I'm a bit autistic, so like I, I tend to just say what what what, uh, what is yeah. on my mind. So, uh, well, yeah. it's it's nice that you've confirmed that. We just need to uh, add mm-hmm. that confirmation to the blockchain so it stays there forever. 
Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Well, I, yeah. I, I'm pretty open about it, but I think most people know. So yeah, but yeah, I think it could be cool. Like this one's more a general overview of um, unsigs, okay. and we're breaking that down, and then we can because I could talk Perfect. for for ages about um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, the more you general join side the of Discord. things. It might be fun to to for you to see, even just as an observer, what other people are doing, and then and then how that can can work in anything. I know YouTube is a, is a it's a big um, difficult thing to to break through on, but. I like your kind of tone and your your uh, your thought process. So I, I hope that you 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 have success in that space. Oh, thank quite you. Nice. So yeah, appreciate it. Well, are, looking can, forward to that Do you mind me one. asking? Are are you like a part Maori or something? Like you have yeah. this like big build that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm a you know. I'm a Maori. So for those that okay. don't know, that's indigenous that's an indigenous kind of New Zealander. Uh huh. So that's um I get that from my dad's side, and then uh, on yeah. my dad's side as well, I've got a little bit of tiny bit of no norwegian in me from okay probably about so you're, six you're generations just like back. an ocean going viking maori like well <laughs> destroyer of <laughs> I, I i kind of throw out the the norway part because i've always been fascinated mm. with vikings so that uh -huh. so when i kind of learned that maybe i've got a bit of norwegian in me on my dad's yeah, side yeah. i was like shit yeah like i'm gonna yeah yeah, yeah. i'll just scream Long that boats, let's go to everyone and then on my mom's side i've got um some irish in me as well so i've always loved Ireland. so like i'm pretty happy with my um genealogy to be honest i've got yeah yeah, yeah. my, my uh, mom also we, we might be cousins uh my father's japanese my mother is is um like british basically american but i took that 23 and me test and yeah all my kids have celtic names um because uh, her middle name was Eileen, and she always liked Eileen better than than Karen, and so uh, so everyone has a little uh, Scottish or Irish name. Irish, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Irish. Well, <laughs> maybe, yours is better than mine. <laughs> may, maybe we're related. Let's just roll with that. We're, yeah, there we go. We're, we're, we're brothers we're from another mother. Pacific, Pacific, uh, Celtic connection. Yeah, I hope so. Maybe we uh, we'll go out for drinks sometime at a future Cardano conference. After all this uh, COVID <laughs> stuff is over and everything, that'll be fun. Yeah, well, hundred percent, definitely in the physical world and yeah. um, offline, offline. But like, my, I've got an architecture <laughs> friend who we're um, currently mm -hmm. exploring um, uh, some like NFT stuff. But he, mm -hmm. we're like, oh, it'd be cool if we had some like virtual space uh, for people in Cardano to hang out. And we're like, oh, let's call it, let's call it Bard Bardano. Um, <laughs> little place I'm, I'm kind of interested in designing a museum for unsigs because i never got to practice architecture right and and like what would that look how would you display and store and arrange thirty one thousand one hundred nineteen art pieces yeah and where, like where, what would that be right we're yeah. exploring that at the moment actually um awesome awesome i think that'd be a great kind of idea and a great way just to um combine these different uh, mediums as well like nfts mm -hmm. virtual reality it's quite like appropriate mm -hmm. at the moment yeah, um, but to, to finish off the, the this particular podcast hopefully one of many there's mm -hmm. um probably a couple of closing questions so mm -hmm. um sure. first of all those for those that are listening that are kind of keen to learn more and maybe connect with you whether it's on discord mm -hmm. or anything like that how how can these people connect with you online so the the on, on if they want to go on twitter there's two accounts there's one is the unsigned algo account um on at unsigned underscore algo there's also what i recommend more is that there's a community run account called the unsigned which is kind of what the you know community has started to refer to themselves as it's kind of like anonymous or whatever right this collective kind of uh pseudonymous type thing which i i quite like um i recommend following both those accounts 
on my account, there's a link to the discord, um, which you can like 24 seven. Like I said, there's just people talking about unsigs and, and different ideas and projects. So it, it, you can kind of put as much time into it as you want or as little. Um, and then maybe I'll send you a link to the cnft.io, which is the current uh, like online marketplace. I have no affiliation with them. If you have a problem with them, you have to take it up with them and, and the, the seller who's on the other side. Those are all pure secondary sales, right? Other people who bought during the mint selling to each other. Uh, and I'll send you the link with the policy ID as the thing. So you're, you're going to land directly on authentic unsigs on, on that site, right? And I recommend sorting by price low to high because uh, the, the prices have gone up quite a bit recently. So, um, yeah. yeah, on that marketplace, that's uh, I bought one a couple of uh, days ago just to mm-hmm. kind of Try test out. out the whole <laughs> process. And the floor mm-hmm. price two days ago was 160 and mm-hmm. today I checked and it's two two forty or something or yeah. Something. So I mean it's... we started in phase one, the first ten thousand unsigs were sold three for fifty ADA, which works out to sixteen point six ADA each, right? In the phase two in the middle ten thousand, it was two for fifty ADA, so twenty-five ADA each. And in the last phase, it was uh one one unsig for fifty ADA. And people at the time were feeling that's quite a lot, right? You know, and now like, well, I, I'm X. not really yeah, I'm not really interested in the economics of it. Like I, I got my piece out. I'm, I'm really happy at the reception. I'm, I'm also, to be honest, like quite pleased that like, as anyone would, if people value something you've done, that's nice, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of it is like financial speculation. Like they're just buying now to hope that the price goes up. But at least during the drop, it did feel that like people who were buying like they were buying because they believed in like the idea and they liked it and and it, it meant something to them. And n- now you can kind of tell that um, things are a little bit different. Maybe it's 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 like a lot of, you know, like uh, moon boys and that kind of thing jumping in. But there still is this very kind of strong core community. I think that is quite interested. And, and it's it's interesting how quickly people come into the discord and they're like, is this rare? Did I get a rare one? <laughs> and then, they, and then they, like, they get uh, kind of like almost like it's like standing in a river, like the force of this river of like all these people are like, it's not about rarity. It's about all this other stuff, you know? And like, they're kind of like, what, you know, I was just trying to get like a pink dinosaur or something like that. Right. Like a, a rare NFT. Um, but uh, we've had quite a few converts over uh, and it's, it's quite, quite yeah. interesting to me. Yeah. Well, you always um, got to get those, those uh, people. Cause there's Generally across crypto, there is uh, an NFT trend at the moment. And Mm -hmm. there is actually from like an economic or financial point of view, there is an opportunity there in NFTs, kind of buying ones when Mm -hmm. they're low and then kind of selling them. And that's cool as well. But what's uh, interesting is throughout the entire drop, like one of the people, things people told me, like you'll never sell out (laughs) 31,000 because people will start buying them and then they'll start flipping them for lower than what you're selling them for. Interesting. Right? Like, but that never happened with our drop, right? So what usually happens is like people buy some, if they don't get a rare one, they put it in the in the market and it they sell it for cheaper than what you can mint them for. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of like causes the the thing to nosedive. But we we never had a problem. I mean, it was like kind of like a slow and steady. Occasionally there'd be a burst of activity as we approach the end of a phase and people are like trying to get in before the price rose or yeah. eventually before the sale stopped. But it was quite, we, we never had this problem where people were selling it for less than what they could mint them for. And so there, there's a lot of weird things about the drop that I think worked because 
it wasn't just like another like uh, randomly generated set of characters on different backgrounds with different accessories in their hands mm -hmm. right and and some excel sheet that says the bananas are rare you want one that's holding a banana right or or this kind of thing and so mm -hmm. i i think it it worked because of how i don't know different it was and what the, the i mean my last comment maybe i'm so happy how many people commented online I never bought an NFT, but I bought an unsig. And like, to me that like pointed to something like we kind of expanded the audience a bit, maybe people who weren't interested in, you know, like cartoons and characters, not that there's anything wrong with that, but like they could kind of like see and, and get this idea. Um, and, and so that's kind of cool that we could, I could contribute to, uh, yeah. you know, expanding that kind of thing and, and getting a different audience. And so. hundred percent. I think that's a testament to the, the idea mm -hmm. like it's a really solid idea and it's an intellectual idea um and the cardano community a lot of them are probably a bit biased here but i think mm -hmm. um the cardano ecosystem attracts a lot of the, the a lot of yep. intellects and uh people that so. believe in science and this sort of art has a i think appeals to those sorts of people because there's uh yep. there's a lot of creative iq behind it so yeah, yeah I think, thank you so much, Blaine. Yeah, there's, that's a testament to the, the idea. Um, ah, exciting, exciting. Well, I'm looking forward to coming back. Uh, if you'll have me on the show again, uh, it'd be fun and uh, super, super exciting to, to, to you know, be able to have this opportunity. And, and thank you for the, the good questions and also for like getting the project. You know, like uh, it's, yeah. it's quite fun to talk to someone who understands what you're trying to do and kind of kind of gets it. Because um, yeah, I a lot of people have, but a lot of people also haven't. And so it's, it's, it is nice to have like a kind of human element of, of understanding there. So thank you so much, Blaine, for your, for your time. And, and I don't know the, the thoughtfulness you've put into this conversation. I really appreciate that. Uh, likewise. Um, one last question though, to finish off. Mm. Okay. Um, I'd love to know from your opinion, uh, mm. what excites you the most about the future of Cardano? Smart contracts. Easy. I mean, the, unsigs originally were supposed to be like a dynamic thing that the function the re, one of the things for me that is core to this generative art like they didn't have to be static right like what, right now an unsig is a specific image um and so what i want to do after smart contracts come out and actually i've, I've promised everyone on twitter um you'll basically send your unsig to another smart contract and i will give you my next collection for free or a piece from my next collection for free you know, we'll mint a new NFT and send it back to you, something like that. We haven't worked out the details yet, but, but that thing with smart contracts enable, that's kind of my, I think necessary for the complete vision of what is blockchain native art mean, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's this ability that, you know, this abstract idea can't necessarily just be pinned down and say, it is this mathematical function against this thing, which is how, what unsigs are right now, but it's, it's like, this mathematical function against this stream of data or the stream of information, right? And that that kind of interaction to me is quite exciting. And so, um, I mean, of course, smart contracts have many other uses and 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 ways to be um, taken advantage of for for financial services and many different things. But I think um, this this idea that one, I'm able to give away this this piece of art which I'm going to be working on. Um, for free because I'll be able to monetize it on the secondary sale, right? So like if you have an unsig, you're going to get this thing for free 
And if you like it and you keep it in your wallet, great. It's, it's done. It's there. But if you sell it, you know, I get five to 10%, whatever I determine, you know, uh, of the kind of transaction that you sell it for. And then, you know, I can basically uh, support myself in the future and definitely like through these royalties, basically, mm. if, if, if you, I think that's just nice. Cause I always thought it was weird that artists sell their thing, you know, for a couple thousand dollars and then in the future it sells for millions and millions, but like they, or their they family don't get don't anything. anything from that. Right. Yeah. Like, doesn't that, make sense. That's weird to me. So um, I, I like this idea that if I make shite and nobody like likes it then, <laughs> then nothing. Right. But if it does have a future, if it does speak to some people, and it does kind of appreciate in the future, then, then that can happen. And that's kind of my way of saying thank you to everyone for, even though we couldn't do that in the version one, because it doesn't, we didn't have smart contracts. Um, you know, people have, have allowed me to quit my job now and, and I can just work on this to fulfill that obligation and that kind of promise to them and also work on other exciting things. So, uh, Alonzo, Gogan, smart contracts, it's, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. I love that. And that's, um, uh, is going to open up a lot of different business models for creatives. Um, yeah. And it's going to provide, a like a, a like more, uh, revenue stream for creatives as well, exactly. which hopefully will encourage more creatives and encourage exactly. creatives to focus I mean, that, on the creating most exciting thing, right? Yeah. Like it's, I think we have this, um, we have so many creative people in the world, but they, based on certain constraints, external constraints, yeah. they, aren't able to express that creativity a lot. And um, as a consequence of that, the world actually misses out on a lot. Um, there's so much value that creatives can give, but at the moment, not fully able to express that because maybe they, they, they can't financially sustain themselves based on what they create. So this has got to open up um, a lot more doors for creatives. And I think everyone's going to benefit from it as a byproduct, which is cool. I had this project in me for like 10 or so years. Like I could have made this 10 years ago, but there was no valid way to release it and to, to monetize it. Right. And so I pursued a, I mean, I enjoyed my career. I got to work with a lot of smart people on a lot of, you know, interesting things. R and D is not like a, a boring field to be in at all, but like I, I explicitly kind of I wanted to be a photographer and then a writer. And then, you know, like I went into this architecture thing because like it was a creative discipline that had a paycheck. Right. Um, and then, you know, I, I learned a little bit more about what architecture was, so that maybe, maybe not for me kind of thing. Right. But uh, it's quite, quite interesting uh, how everything turned out. And in the end, you know, the thing that kind of set me free was, was something as silly as art. Right. And I say that in a joking way, right? Like obviously art is, is a lot more important to me and is not a silly thing, but, but I just think back to all the times I was told, you know, like you'll never, you know, feed your family with this thing or something like this, right. you got to get a real job. you got to do this real thing. And then you know, <laughs> this, this project happens and like, like it was like, I had a good job. I was making a six figure salary doing AIML, but like it can't hold a candle. Like I was making my monthly salary like multiple times a day when this project was open being sold. And it, it became clear like, oh, yeah, There's I something should probably here. do something, you know, um, that that I'm passionate about and interested in. And, and like there's finally, as you were saying, like a possible way of monetizing it. And so. That's, that's quite interesting. If you think about all the human potential that's been shunted away because there was, you know, not a, a means to convert that into bread. Yeah. Like food, not, not cheddar. <laughs> but yeah. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please feel free to subscribe. Uh, And also, if you like our content, then make sure to check us out on social media with the handle Cardano Source. Thanks again, and I'll see you in the next episode.